My name's Bobby Walker with Journey of a New Entrepreneur, and I've got one message for you. Don't be a bitch! What is going on, everybody? It's Bobby Walker here with the Journey of a New Entrepreneur podcast, coming at you with another big-time guest this time around. And I think you guys are going to be proud of me because I kind of went outside of my outside of my wheelhouse, you know, that, that I typically live in here. So I can't wait to tell you about him. But first, I've got to tell you about Responsibid. You know, they're the show sponsor. And guys, let me just tell you this. Here's why I'm so passionate about Responsibid is it's something that I got. Uh, let's see here. I don't know. Uh, September, August, something like that in 2017. When I attended my first huge convention, I went to the Responsibid booth. I had heard about it on Josh Latimer's podcast, and I talked to Kurt at the booth. And and I, I said to him, I said, dude, listen. I said, I'm struggling. Business is hurting right now. I came to the convention on a credit card. Uh, we're, we're having a hard time keeping up with all of the calls coming in and running quotes and yada, yada, yada while we're doing the work. Is Responsibid right for me? And Kurt kind of had a gut check. Because he knew where I was and that, you know, I just put a trip to a convention on a card and all these things. And, and you know, he kind of took a big, uh, big gulp and he said, Bobby, this thing's going to be right for you. We signed up for it and it is the sales system for our company. And it has been ever since. And the cool thing about it is when we first got it, we used it to do all of our quotes over the phone. And we let people get them on our website and over the phone. And it just made life super, super easy. But then as our company scaled, we now have, you know, we run almost all of our quotes in, in person. So probably 97% of our quotes are now done in person. And Responsibid plays a huge and the vital role in that as well. So whether you're the guy that get, does everything online, the guy that does it all over the phone, or the company that does it all on person, Responsibid can adapt and it will fit and it will take your sales system if you have one and put it on steroids. And if you don't, it fits right in and it makes everything happen. It makes you money while you're asleep, literally. And they have a 10 to one ROI guarantee. So the bottom line is this. If I said to you, I have an investment opportunity for you and there's no risk. If you don't get a 10 to one return on your investment, you don't even pay for the dang thing. Well, You'd be silly not to take it. Responsibid gives that guarantee. Check them out. Go to jnebid.com. That's J-N-E, like Journey of a New Entrepreneur, B-I-D, like responsibid.com. Go check them out. Tell them Bobby sent you. Oh, yeah. And if you're a uh, Journey of a New Entrepreneur listener, you get an exclusive low monthly rate that you can't get anywhere else. And you also get a free month of service that you can't get anywhere else. Check it out, janiebid.com. All right, now we are about to get into it. But before I do, I just got to give one little message from my friends because you have entered the NBZ. Don't be a bitch. No bitches allowed. If you're a victim, if you blame other people for your lack of success, or if you don't take action because of your fear of what other people may think or because you might fail, well, you're a bitch. And this is the no bitch zone. And this is full of people that, have courage. And guys, courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is doing it even when you are scared. Bitches don't do it when they're scared. And I'm not going to lie. I've got a little bit of that B word inside of me and it comes back every now and then. So I'm not claiming perfection. 
I'm just claiming progress. We're storming towards the gates. We're storming hell. We're bringing hell with us while we're doing it. I don't even know how that works. That doesn't make sense. But we're going to do what it takes to get there. And that's why this is the NBZ. So welcome to it. Everett Abrams, the Wizard of Wood, is in the NBZ. Welcome to the show, Everett. How the heck are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. This has been a long time coming. Like, uh, if you've been a guest on the show, you probably know what I'm about to say, but we had to reschedule a time or two because I tend to be a hectic person, but, uh, but I'm super glad. And I'm, and, and more than that, I'm very honored and proud to have you on the show ever. Uh, you are, um, let me just say this guys, if you don't know who he is and we're about to learn about this guy here in a minute, and and I think we're going to have a really fun conversation. I don't know him super well. We, uh, we hung out a little bit in uh, Fort Worth. We went to an event with Michael Hinderleiter over at powerwash.com uh, about, yeah, actually it was about 73 days ago, I think, because I was on, I just started this program called 75 hard. And I think I'm on day 73. So, but, but we met and we got to talk a little bit and, and, uh, and we had a good time, but the Everett is one of the pillars in our industry. Um, I've seen, I mean, when I say countless, I'm saying hundreds of references about Everett on online, on Facebook, on YouTube with people saying, not only is this guy um, really smart and knows what he's talking about, but he's a great human being on top of it. And then I've probably had, um, I won't exaggerate here, and I'll say I've had at least six conversations with individuals, people that I probably didn't know at the time and I was getting to know, or maybe I still don't know them well. They just reached out to me because of the podcast or something. And in speaking with them and them talking about the people that have helped them in the industry at least six times, just random people that that don't necessarily know each other have said, man, Everett Abrams did it for me. Uh, one guy, uh, I think it was Brandon, uh, Brandon Fagisi, if I remember right, uh, who was on the podcast not too long ago. And he had said he had reached out to Everett uh, saying, yeah, man, I'm going to come to one of your classes. I just don't have the money. Probably shouldn't say this because now everyone will want him to give him a class. And he can't do that for, for everyone. But Brandon reached out. He's like, dude, I'm going to come. I just got to save the money, save up the money. And Everett said, dude, just come just get up here, you know, and I've heard that story or similar stories multiple times. But let me tell you this. If you reach out to him and ask for a free class, you're dead to me. Don't do that. Okay. That's, that's just be, taking advantage of a good guy. But, uh, but that's why I'm so honored to have him on the show is I've seen countless, countless people just have a great deal of respect for you ever. And then I've had a good handful of conversations with just, you know, strangers, if you will, that have shared stories directly with me. And that's why we're here. So welcome to the show. Do me a favor, man. Let's just pretend you're sitting at a bar. You just got a beer. If you drink it, if not, you got a soda, whatever. And the guy next to you said, Hey man, who are you? What do you do? What are you all about? What would you tell that guy? Well, it's kind of funny because sometimes I'll sit there and nobody will know who I am. <laughs> like I was at the huge, in, uh, we were in Atlanta a couple of years ago. Yep. And I'm sitting in a bar. I'm thinking nobody's going to know who the hell I am. I didn't stay at the Marriott at the time. And this guy says to me, he looks down, he says, are you the Wizard of Wood? <laughs> I'm in Atlanta. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know it. During the huge at that time, there was another uh, wood convention going on on the other side of the of the event. Of the event where the oh, no was. kidding. I didn't know that. Because I, I was there too, but I didn't know that. There were some other wood guys there. So I'm huh. like, holy crap. But, um it's so funny. So when I say Wizard of Wood, it, the conversation goes all over the place. Like, how did you get the Wizard of Wood? What makes you the Wizard of Wood? And so yeah. forth. So I feel like I was the Wizard of Wood when I was a teenager, but 
talking about something different if uh that was inappropriate but we're we're rated explicit folks go <laughs> we're good I, I used to say that too with somebody well it depends who asked me I'll, i might still say that yeah the, the wizard of Morningwood. <laughs> uh, and now i'm 43 and i'm not anymore so anyway carry on <laughs> so, uh, first of all let me say i really appreciate you mentioning about brandon and some other people because I just want to say one thing to anybody who's watching. I've been in doing this for 30 years now. And before that, I was, I was in business as well. But it's not what you take with you. It's what you give. Yeah. And I've always wanted to give back. I want to help that other person. You know, it's, it's always been that way for me. Um, there are some times where I like it's so busy. And my life's busy, too. Just like others. You get busy when, when you have a good company and so forth. And you have a lot going on. But you got to make the time sometimes for some people and so forth. And, you know, sometimes I'm sure there's people I haven't returned a call back or an email or I didn't mm-hmm. see. I have other people like on my messenger and stuff, even though some like if you have 5,000 people on there, mm-hmm. a lot of people realize 5,000 people on Facebook, but you don't see all the posts and you don't see all the messengers. And you I can't have, keep up with it. Yeah, it's just impossible. I have, I have staff that goes in and answers for me at times. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't get one, I apologize. But I do try to help out and i do think and we'll get into that more with the industry that especially where it applies to wood restoration and pressure washing and and those related fields and so forth everett abrams needs help Mm -hmm. i've been like a lead dog for a while there's plenty of other wood guys that i'm so friendly with um across this country but everybody thinks you know the wizard of wood and so forth and me but you need other people teaching some of these people are really good at wood but they don't want to teach Mm-hmm. Um, we need more people teaching, but I'll get into that in a few minutes. So if somebody comes up to me and says, to answer the game, who is Everett Abrams? Who is the Wizard of Wood? And I'm just a guy who enjoys work to this day. I get so geeked out about results like the first time I ever did it. Yep. Um, nothing has changed. The only part that changes is I wish I was there at the end of all the jobs that my company does so that I can see the looks on the faces. That's the reward I always wanted because I knew that if I got that, that look that I had transformed someone's deck or cabin or whatever, that I, I didn't have to worry about money. Mm-hmm. It was, was going to be there. So that part has never changed. And then the other thing is I just like hanging out with my wife. She's my best friend. We sit on the deck. If anybody sees my pictures, I'll post. If you're on my Instagram or my Facebook, you'll see, my deck, you'll see wood stuff. Yeah. You'll see nobody does, and you're going to see sunrise and sunsets from a farm I have. I have a 60 acre farm up here. Nice. Jersey, and it's just beautiful. That's Love me. That. That's who I am. Um, but as far as work concerned, um, I'll tell you a quick little story how I got here is, you know, when I first started out, like everybody else, talk about a journey of a new entrepreneur is you've got to be able to adjust. You've got to be able to adapt. If you think that what I've been doing for 30 years is the same thing I did 30 years ago, you'd be sadly mistaken. Because when I got involved in this, I was director of operations in restaurants. And I had a company that was doing fire suppression. And they were doing the, all the hoods for, for the restaurant builds. I was what happened is, you know, that's when we got, the, you know, got involved. It was mandated. You had to clean hoods twice a year. And they were doing a lot of hood cleanings and so forth. And I said, opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. He says he's so busy that he was trying to do them to keep up with his accounts 
he couldn't keep up. You know, he had a bunch of school accounts and so forth. I said, well, this is great. I go out at the time. <laughs> wife, that wife. Uh, I didn't even really talk to her a lot about it. But I say, hey, there's an opportunity here. You know, one day I can just go out and buy a van, a pressure washer and everything. And I start doing stuff. Six weeks later, I'm, I'm out. I got to quit my job. And this is going back, you know, in 1990, 91, that area. At a $50,000 salary, just being honest, $50,000 salary. Had bonus. Had all my benefits. I had a company vehicle. Pay for gas. Yeah. Pay for a good job then. I was going to say 50K was actually, I mean, it wasn't like making a million a year, but that was a lot more than it is in 2021 for sure. Yeah. So uh, quit my job to do this. I just jumped in. I'm, I'm the guy that jumps in the deep end of the pool. Yep. So I jump in and even a few weeks after I'm like, wow, what the hell did I get involved in here? Mm-hmm. So you start doing, you get calls and you get referrals and you're doing houses and you're doing all this other stuff too. And uh, it just went nuts. And for the first year, I'm thinking, wow, this is great. And as I'm going through the year doing kitchen exhaust and I hit wintertime, then there was an argument always about the one-man, two- or two-man crews. Well, yep. safety-wise, you should have a two-man crew, especially in some of the places I was cleaning the hoods. But there's one night um, I came down the ladder. I was doing the vent up on the hood, and it was a, uh, a jack-in-the-box, I think, or uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I came down, and lo and behold, it got a little icy because it's cold out. The ladder rungs got a little, you know, wet. And one of those rungs, I fell down the ladder, probably, I don't know, six rungs. I woke up like a half an hour later, knocked me out cold. It's cold outside. I'm on the concrete, nobody around. Probably had a concussion, drove home. I said, man, this is crazy. What am I doing? You know, you're dealing with uh, different, different um, equipment. Because restaurant yeah. stuff's all greasy, and then, you know, you can't go clean a house or somebody's deck or driveway mm-hmm. with hoses and stuff. So I kind of made a decision of, you know, kind of transitioning a little bit to other services. When I first started out, my wife was Jennifer, my son, Everett, my daughter, Taylor, who's jet pressure washing and window cleaning. Hmm. So that went, went as I kind of changed the business model. When I changed the business model, by the way, the wife went at the same time. <laughs> uh, and I'm so glad because I really found my best friend in life later yep. on. It worked out really great. And we've been together for uh, 22 years now. But in that transition, what started to happen was I was doing really delivering some great results. We started franchising. We really started, you know, doing a lot. The Power Wash of North America called me about teaching a wood class. And I've been friends with a gentleman by Chris Detter and uh, then Pete Marente. They were the original owners of Sunbright. They were on the Power Washing North America board. So I was already linked with a Rick Mendenhall from Bowman who helped me early on in my career. And as I'm getting involved with the PWNA in this class, I'm developing a, started to develop products and stains. But I was just starting out, and then I was starting out with the franchises, and I thought franchising was the way to go because I'd been involved in that in Richmond earlier on. Little did I know, as I'm developing this stuff, in the future was that 2009 time when the economy went to hell. People started doing a lot of goofy stuff, trying to use other products, 
hiding money, doing all kinds of stuff. And I, mm-hmm. and I get that part of it. So as my franchise group um, was still solid, I mean, we had uh, 17, at one point we were in 17 locations. Wow. A couple of franchisees had other, uh, you know, multiple areas. So we're doing really well. And at that point, I was contacted by the Forest Products Laboratory, who does the standards for the industry. And Sam Williams is like the godfather. Of it. And he was, he did most of the standards. He's the one that ran the Forest Products Lab, which is part of the Department of Agriculture. They were looking for one contractor to put on the Joint Codings Committee. The Joint Codings Committee is made up of 40 top guys. 20 represent wood, 20 represent the coding. And then they do the standards. So I'm invited, you invite a few people. And I, I didn't know if I was get selected. I always thought it was just an honor just to be asked. I had to send in my, like a resume. Um, you know, everything, your background. Your, I sent in my franchise uh, circular and the operations manuals and everything. They review everything. And then I got appointed to this joint codings committee. So the resume just kind of kept building. At the time, and I still think to this day, that is probably about as high as you could go as far as being recognized, you know, when your mm-hmm. peers recognize you that way. So at that point, I started getting information that was just different um, than what everybody else was hearing. So the big thing I heard was oils are probably going to go away. A big focus on environmental issues. And we see that today in the pressure watching industry more and more. Yeah. So that tied into what we were dealing with. They were saying no oils. And I'm thinking, wow, let's be selfish. Let's come up with a product that at the point, at the time, we were using Ready Seal. And Ready Seal was very popular, still is today, because it's kind of a dummy proof product. Mm-hmm. But I love the product. So what happened is we. Ever just out. briefly, like in 10 seconds, uh, in case people don't know, because uh, I'm not in the world of wood either. So what's Ready Seal? Just so someone might know what that is. So Ready Seal is a, a, a sealer for wood. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the most popular contract. If you were in the know and in the contract grade, it was really popular back in the 2000s. Okay. Uh, okay. It's still out there today. And what happened is I'm thinking, okay, we're not going to have oils. Are they going to get away from that product I'm using? Mm-hmm. Let me come up with a water base that's as close to an oil base as you can. So that's when we really started developing some of the other products. Now, I also have consulted for Carol Williams and Ben Moore at times and uh, been up to their in, in Flanders, New Jersey, to their test farm and so forth. I put their scientists. Uh, my wood, again, another honor. Mm-hmm. I swear I walk into these rooms and these guys are enamored by me and I'm thinking, <laughs> what the are they thinking, you know? I'm I think that's them. how it always works, though. Like, you, you, yeah. you, you either judge other people harsher or lighter than yourself, just depending on your angle. You know what I mean? It's like the people that you like, you tend to put them on pedestals and the people you don't like, it's like, screw you. You know, <laughs> you push them even further. It, sorry to interrupt. It's just funny because that's You're exactly right. pretty right. standard. Yeah. And, and I'm, I swear I learned way more from them than, than I ever, you know, than I ever gave them. And in doing so, and the, the more I learned, not just to be able to give back to the, my community and my industry, but also to develop the products. And what we did was we took a, I took a formula that was a failed formula, and I found out the reasons why it failed, and then I developed a better formula 
um, what we currently use today and sell is the deck restoration product line. So the stains were the first part, and then we also have restoration products. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the how it kind of developed to where we are today through the years. And I can really say there was really, I started out as a pressure washing and window cleaning company, uh, like a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really honed it in in 2009 when the economy changed. I realized, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a dumb guy sometimes, you know, I'm, I see money flying in and you got 11 crews out running and you, you know, you don't really pay attention to much as long as there's money coming in Yep. and coming from a corporate background and then being an operations manager, it just didn't make sense that I was letting some things go that normally would. Mm-hmm. So what happened is when the economy kind of flipped, it really sent me back to where I, I, and in doing so I hit the reset button, I hit the reset button. I realized the wood was the most profitable thing we were doing focused on them and um, put a lot of more uh, controls in place and so forth that we didn't have. And even though we were doing less money at the time, we've gone back and we, we rebuilt our foundation. Yeah. yeah. And I'll explain today too, is anybody who's, who's getting into business, if that foundation isn't strong, yeah, it's all that bad things. They'll find the weak spots in that foundation. Well, you know, I've heard, I've probably heard a similar story, probably, I don't know, two or three other times on uh, Josh Latimer's uh, old podcast. He's not, he's not doing it anymore, but uh, the quick talk podcast, which was just so valuable, by the way, he, Josh, if you ever listen to this nice work, bro, thank you. Um, but I've heard, you know, you're probably the third or fourth person I've heard tell a similar story where it's like, we went through this tough time. If, you know, what's the, what's the saying uh, necessity is the, uh, uh, something of invention is the uh, mother of invention, the mother of invention. Yeah. The Sessie is the mother of invention. And I've heard a few stories where guys, you know, they, they got in the crunch and it was actually, I think every one of them was around that Oh eight crash, you know, cause I wasn't in business back then. Yeah. You know, I was working, but, but not for my own company. And I was working in an industry that was relatively recession proof, but um, the, uh, but I've heard the story a lot where people, you know, they get in that crunch and they, well, they knew their numbers and they were able to make some adjustments to come out of it uh, a healthier company, even though the that crunch may not have been fun. And you very well may have had some some struggles in the middle of it. But coming out, if I'm a betting man, based on what you're saying, you're you're more profitable after than you were for before, at least percentage wise at the beginning. And then definitely probably uh, dollars wise, you know, after some time. Definitely would not have been as successful as I am today. Mm-hmm. Away from the education stuff, a lot. But as far as my my contracting business, my service business, it would never have happened. Slap in the face, it was a wake up call. It made me go back and fix the things that should have already been in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that foundation is still holding firm, and we just building and building on it. And today, I mean, it's just amazing because we didn't build decks back. Now. We would do a I would do deck builds uh, when we weren't busy, like everybody else. You know, a lot of people would go to you know, when it's not busy. They they might do something else, um, or whatever. I was building decks. Yeah. The reason I built decks because I felt like if I build a few decks, that's more customers and probably a loyal customer. I build a deck right, they're yeah. going to with life. Um, I didn't know composite decks were going to start coming out and being as popular as they were, and where that mm-hmm. was going to evolve to. 
which is amazing. Right? And then um, we got into it full time. So now we have three full time crews out, uh, two three man crews and a two man crew um, building decks. Hey, uh, Everett, if I may interject real quick, just uh, could you just give a quick you know bullet point rundown on the the services that you offer in your company? Sure. So <clears throat> basically, I was a pressure washing and window cleaning company to start. Mm-hmm. And I started doing deck work and the numbers were higher. So what I did was I flip-flopped it. And that's when we came deck restoration plus that jet pressure washing window. Now it was easier to take those lower number services and put them into the deck stuff. That we were doing. Yeah. What we did was we held on to the pre- all the pressure washing services. So we're still doing, um, we're still doing house cleaning. Um, it, Amy Schmidt's up in my area. He talks to me all the time. He tells the guys, this is what he tells uh, competitors. Don't, don't worry about Everett. Worry about everything else because Everett's got his customers. Yeah. My customers, we do the deck, we do the house, we do the driveway, we do the stamped concrete, we do the pavers. They know that if I'm going to do the deck, I'll take care of everything else. Mm-hmm. Have that loyalty with them. They just pause and say, okay, Everett, do the house. Do the house when you do the deck. We have our uh, maintenance plan. And the maintenance yeah. plan, is all this stuff is all included. Um, but we offer all those pressure washing. We don't, only time we do window cleaning, we still do window cleaning, but only when we do home restoration. So we get wood fibers all over the windows. We're, we're yeah. But we do any type of a wood house. So any wood sided, senior sided house, log cabin, and we're very well known for restoration. Nice. Not cleaning. Not well, cleaning. you know, there's a great, there's a great sales and marketing lesson in what you just said. And so, Listeners, you know, let's let's recap just briefly. He used to do pressure washing and window cleaning. He added, uh, you know, deck. Uh, I don't know if it was a restoration at the time, deck staining, restoration, you know, uh, whatever the proper term is. And realized quickly, you know, the bigger tickets were on the decks. And what he did was he he became that deck or wood company that has the higher ticket price because if you didn't listen closely. It's easier to upsell the smaller ticket prices. Now, if you just have a pressure washing only company, um, a roof or a house is the bigger ticket price. But Everett had found other things that were bigger than that. So it's easy. You know, let's just stick in the pressure washing world. If you did, if you only did roofs, houses and flat work. Well, if you market flat work and you and you push driveway cleaning, it's going to be very difficult to upsell house washes and roof cleanings to a client that just wants a driveway. But if you push the roofs and the houses, you can easily add the ancillary service like a driveway cleaning or like exterior window cleaning that with a water fed pole or something. It's super easy to get those ticket prices up. Now, Everett, you know, that's essentially what he did. He just went with a whole other, you know, service line of, of doing this specializing in wood. And if I'm a betting man, you know, what most people, you know, their big, biggest tickets, usually a roof. Second biggest is going to be their house wash. Um, you probably can add a house wash to a big deck restoration. No problem. Cause it's probably just a small fraction of what you're doing. We're, we're, I will tell you, I don't, anybody in South Jersey can argue with me if they want. I'm the largest pressure washing company in South Jersey. Really? They don't even know how many houses I do. Let alone, they think, <laughs> thinks I'm doing decks. I'm doing more than any of these people. Are around me, mm-hmm. I got no problem saying that. I do, but I don't. I'm not doing that two or three hundred dollar house. Yeah. But because we're doing the decks, I could go out and do a twenty eight hundred dollar deck restoration. By the way, our average ticket 
like restoration. No repairs, no anything, just restoration. $2,738. Nice. So our nice. minimum is $1,700. Mm-hmm. But our average is $2,700 because we end up not doing those minimums. That's why our average. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's climbing significantly this year because of my issues. But I can go out to somebody's house and do that 20, let's just call it a $2,800 deck. And I could turn around and look at the house and say, okay, the house is a $600 house. I could turn around and tell them, you know what, we'll do the house for $400 if, you know, with the deck. And they say, oh, really? Oh, my pressure water charges me $500. Yeah, do it. Now I got the house, the deck, I got everything. And it's really easy to hide it because if I wanted to, I could turn around and take that $2,800, make it a $3,000 deck, and I'm still getting the same money at the end of the day. They think I gave them a deal on the house. I got them in. Nobody's going to complain. If I do it right, nobody's going to not hire me for $200 on it. Yeah. And I will tell you that if you buy a house, sell a house, everybody knows what the value of the deck is. If the sell of a house, they can do all kinds. That's the, it's, it, it's a big investment for a customer. Yep. First, you take care of the deck. They're going to trust you to wash the house, the window. And you can do anything, windows, gutters, whatever you want on that property. Whatever your services are, you can build it around them. So we found the deck good- is the pride and joy. You know, if they, if they trust the deck is, it's just like, it's well, maybe not just like, but it's right up there. I think with someone's boat, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just this iconic, you know, it it's mine and it's what I'm all about. And, you know, so if they trust you with that, the, they're not going to have a problem doing these little things that the rest of us are doing. Not at all. And it, it really is a trust thing. Yeah. You the nail on the head. So all the people that work for me, Anybody that's selling, we're not we're not selling the job. We're selling trust. Mm-hmm. They trust us to give us the money. They're trusting us to do the work. Yep. Got to build trust, and that's a big thing that I think a lot of people kind of bypass. Um, the other thing too that I always preach too, just kind of off a little aside, is I teach my guys that it's different today than it used to be. We're not selling as much as we used to anymore. The sale is already done. They've already checked us out online. They've checked reviews. They've checked yeah. references. The whole local hardware store, who would you remind? And they keep getting deck restoration plus, deck restoration plus. Then eventually that's just, just goes. But I think nowadays people have hired us before. So they've already hired us. Let's build the trust. Then let's talk about the job. Then when we talk about the job, we can offer like the services that I just mentioned in the U.S. what we, what we provide. Yeah. Um, got into deck building. And a lot of people said to me, okay, why are you doing the decks? Well, we're building a lot of wood decks. You restore them. We picked up customers. And originally, it was 50 customers. If I build up 50, build 50 decks in a year, that's 50 customers I can add. Hopefully, you know, probably, you know, 30 or 35 of them actually become customers because people are still going to try it themselves or whatever happens. This crazy thing happened with composite decks. And everybody said to me, well, is the composite decks hurting you? We only were selling 11% composite decks up until the pandemic. Now the number's jumping up. We're building decks. They're really getting into it. Product lines, they made them a little more affordable right before the pandemic hit. Now everybody's going out. All of a sudden, now we're 46%. You're a pressure washing company. Understand this, guys. This is why I build the decks. Everybody thinks, well, why are you doing that? It doesn't, it's not related to pressure washing. Oh, yeah? Well, guess what? Guess how many... When somebody stains a deck, they stain it usually, what, every two years? Sometimes more depending on the stain. Mm-hmm. You build a composite deck for somebody, how many times do you think they're going to clean it a year? Because now it's like a piece of furniture. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be a high-frequency uh, maintenance cleaning at that point. 
Right. So yeah. you, and we're still a pressure washing company. We'll come mm-hmm. clean up on your deck. While we're out there, we'll do the pavers if you need the house, if you need the driveway, whatever. But we're we're seeing these people more often to clean. So they treat that composite deck like a piece of furniture. And if anybody is not paying attention today to what's triggering people, we all know we can go on Instagram, we hit a hashtag, and we see the most popular things popping up. Outdoor living space is huge. We don't out, we don't call it cleaning the deck or deck restoration or house. It's outdoor living space, outdoor kitchens, the pergolas, the, everything that's going on outdoors. And that has become such a huge segment of the industry. That's really what I focused business on is what can we do in that outdoor living space? Mm-hmm. Now, what's crazy is we did this before the pandemic and then the pandemic hits and what's everybody want to do? They want their backyard to be like a vacation spot. Yep. Want the house clean, the deck perfect, pavers done, stamp concrete, stamp concrete. I teach us in the class, we talk about it. What's the biggest dynamic or biggest demographic that people uh, provide that service of stamp concrete? And everybody says either the landscape or the concrete guy, the homeowner, because they can't find anybody to do it. Hmm. Stamp concrete is more involved to do. Interesting. We're, we're talking about five to ten dollars a square foot. You're not going to make that kind of money anywhere else. Yeah. Only one step more involved than wood. You're still going to pressure wash it. Still going to run your surface cleaner. Now it's just a matter of if you're going to go that far and, and reseal and restore. It's a huge market, huge advantage. Again, damn concrete is going to tie in with the pool, with the deck, the whole thing. That's what the, my company Center. Yeah. The customers, they're building loyalty. I learned a long time ago. It's one thing that landscapers and pressure washers do. They go to business, and what happens? They sell off their equipment. Mm -hmm. A couple bucks, 30 cents, 50 cents on a dollar if they're lucky. I was always told maintenance and have your customer list. Customers are loyal. They're a maintenance plan. I have a, somebody wants to buy my business. Here's what you're going to make. Always kept that. So now, when you say maintenance, you're referring to like a uh, like an, an actual recurring maintenance plan with your customers? Most of our maintenance plan, too. Now, I teach this class. I'm just being honest and upfront. We, we're going to charge you more than probably anybody right now. Mm-hmm. But the maintenance plan is going to be 70% of the original price. Most we actually put that in writing in the in our maintenance plan when we first came out. We build the maintenance plan around that 70% on the wood, and then we tie other stuff in. In two years, if somebody gets their deck done, and somebody else comes in and say they did bid it out. If we did the right thing, then hopefully they're not going to do that. But if they did, or there's somebody that bids out, at 70%, hopefully, I got a lock on it. Yeah. They're going to pay for me to get it fixed one time, and then that's what maintenance is, paying a lot nice. of pressure washers, they're done guys because they'll go out That's and how we are deck, right then now. they get somebody. Right. Uh, you know, uh, they don't uh, do the, yeah. the- I'm, I get, I get repeat customers. I'm kind of, my ears are perking up listening to you saying this because uh, I get repeat customers, but I don't have, uh, but I, you know, the repeat customers we get are just because, you know, they were happy and they came back, but we don't have anything that locks people in. Um, I actually, just had uh, John Warlow on the podcast a few episodes ago, um, who's the author of uh, Built to Sell, The Art of Selling Your Business, but he also has a book called The Automatic Customer, which is all about what you're talking about. So that's something that I'm working on. Um, 
but it's not a nut that I've cracked yet inside of my business. So, uh, so sorry to interrupt, but this is definitely interesting. Good conversation. Um, I like the fact too, that in that you really become a, a, a large part of these people. They'll call you out of the blue and say, Hey, Everett, I, I just wanted to you know, hit you up for a second. I know you're out there. You do good work. I'm sure you work with other good contractors. Do you know a good person to replace a roof? You know, that kind of thing. And there's a good network of people that are around. My referrals are really good. Um, and you get to know those people. The other thing we encourage, and I encourage my employees too, if we ride by a house that we've done work for, feel free to stop by and say hello. They become, the, the people that do the work become the face of the company. I have one person I'm just going to mention. His name is Ivan. And he's my go-to stinger. Every customer calls him. And I'll get a customer who will call and say, I just want to let you know, I've been stopped by to say hello and just check out the deck today. That's the kind of stuff that you're doing. Yeah. That, that, brand, that builds the brand loyalty. You don't have to worry about it. Then you're calling them on the maintenance time. Say, hey, you know, it's time for the maintenance. Okay, just put me in the schedule. Let me know when you're coming. It's kind of how it flows. Yeah. Uh, but that's the thing. And I'm not trying to find new customers all the time. Most of it's built around, especially after 30 years, a lot of repeat. Yep. Um, and most of our referrals actually, believe it or not, come in from the local vendors. So local lumber yards, local hardware stores, they only refer really one person. Hmm. Yeah, uh, no, that's good stuff. I, you know, I'm always, I say always, I, you know, I've changed a lot in life and I, I do or don't do things. I said I never would or never wouldn't do, you know, but um so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but, you know, I'll probably always be the guy that says, all right, let's get more customers, more customers, more customers. Um, however, that's not because I, I, I also want to, to do it the right way, like what you're talking about. So it's not just, I, I don't want to just get new customers to fill the bucket that has the hole in the bottom. I want to plug the hole. And then just get, keep getting a bigger bucket, if you will. You know what I mean? And keep the other people coming back and getting the new ones. And maybe I'm, uh, I, I think it's probably just more of a, a competitive thing in my own mind, you know, just a, a thing I, I enjoy that gets me excited. But, uh, you know, to, to your point, um, and this is something that Josh Latimer, I've been talking about him a lot uh, on this episode, but he talked about this a lot on his podcast. And it's something that, uh, you know, like with uh, that product, he has Sin Gym that, you know, Daniel Dixon's now the CEO of it, running that company and doing a damn good job, by the way. Um, the, uh, you know, something that he would always teach, and it's why he built that was, um, you know, the customer retention is really where companies tend to thrive. Like I was in the security industry, you know, like home security. And, and that's a, uh, an industry that's built all around agreements and contracts, you know, ongoing agreements. But one of the big, there was two big numbers. There was more numbers that we had to focus on, but two big numbers as, you know, a VP that I had to always focus on, on the PLs. And one of them was new RMR, uh, reoccurring monthly revenue. And then the other one is attrition rate how many clients that were actually using, uh, losing each month. And that attrition number was really more important than, than the new, new customer number, because that the it's so, you know, when you're losing a customer, you're, you're just giving away money. You're just giving it away. Or, or if you can keep one, 
you're just getting free money, right? So if someone's paying me, you know, in, in that time, you know, $40 a month for their security or what have you, if they're ready to cancel, well, damn, even giving them three, four, five, six months of free service, if they don't cancel, I, I, it was free money because there's really no cost to keeping that person. So like in, in a company like yours, uh, I'll try to get back to that Josh Latimer syndrome thought too, but in a company like yours, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing as you, you did at one point, or maybe you still do, but you, you know, you spent money on marketing, you grew, you did, you know, you did this stuff. And uh, if you didn't spend money on marketing, you still spent time, which is even more valuable than money, you know, on, on marketing and stuff like that. And when those customers come back, you actually make more money on a repeat customer than you make on a new customer because you don't have that customer acquisition cost. So, so trying to, you know, bring it all the way back to Josh Latimer. You know, he, he talked about this a lot where in our industry, in the pressure washing slash window cleaning industry, um, this may, these numbers may skew a little bit for a company like yours that does restoration, but most businesses, um, they tend to hit a ceiling around the three hundred dollars to $400,000 range. And there's a couple of reasons for that. But one of them, one of them is if you're aggressively scaling, your cash flow starts to really go to shit at that point, you know, for a period of time, I'm, I'm kind of on the other side. Well, I'm in my slow season right now, so I'm not loving cash flow. but, but as far as 2021 is concerned, you know, my business has kind of got past that uh, for the most part, but, uh, but cash flow gets tight. But the other thing is it's really hard to grow if you're not retaining your customers and that hole in that bucket analogy uh, is actually right where my, Josh always talked about that, where, you know, you've got a bucket and you're pouring new customers in the top, but if you got holes in the bottom, well, what happens is it gets really hard to start getting $400,000 of new customers every year, but you can continue to scale if you're getting 400,000 new customers every year, and then you're keeping, you know, 200,000 from the previous year. And then that's how businesses can tend to scale successfully and especially in our industry, but not limited to. So I don't think I have anything else to say other than I was just kind of, kind of uh, adding a little color commentary to, to what you were going with there. You hit on something that registered for me too, because it's not just those people in referrals as you get into business, there's still other segments and look at what's changed in our technology. If you're not on Facebook and Google and things today, yeah. wonderful. I, I remember, I mean, I'm 58. I'm 56 years old, and you're talking to guys about TikTok. And they're like, "What the hell is TikTok?" Yeah, I know. you're going to have to know TikTok for business, for other things. They'll find a way to monetize at some point. And that was before the pandemic hit, and, and TikTok really took off. But I mean, you've got to be on the edge of these things. You never know how you're going to touch somebody. You know, so we still do Google Ads. We do whatever it is. You know, we'll throw them out there just to keep being out there and so forth. But um, you know, we're fortunate. But you got to you can't get complacent really can't it's got to be a good mix of everything you got your customers you got your repeat you never have you know who's going to talk to who and what so forth but contracting in it's really done really 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 well and i think that kind of builds that look but products because we're in local hardware stores not just in deal with a distributor deal Hey, Everett, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm going to guess what the problem is here. Your, your audio is cutting out a little bit. I think it, it sounds like it's like a noise gate on your microphone, like if the volume gets too low. So uh, I don't know if maybe you can 
maybe just scoot up a hair and pull your mic closer to you. I think that might fix it. It's just when the, when the, when your volume gets a little low, it, it like shuts your audio off. So I think, but uh, so we'll see how that works, but uh, could you back up maybe 15 seconds and kind of recap what you were finishing up with there? Um, where was that? Well, I, I heard you mention something about like hardware or something like that, but I, I couldn't catch the whole thing because it was kind of cutting out. So the local, locally our products are but the products that we sell have kind of taken on a, a local flavor of their own because we have local distributors we're local hardware stores and we do have a distributor um at a pa that has 200 local hardware stores oh okay 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 so in the new england area so that kind of helps us it kind of ties in one with the other so mm-hmm. when people want to buy the products they want to know that hey these are successful that they tie that that they see jobs that are being done with the products and so forth and have the testimonials from it. The only way we can communicate that today, it's not a newspaper ad. We have to put those testimonials out, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Google, wherever we are. So we're using every platform we can to still get our business out there and, and get it known. But I would, I'm just one of those guys, even though I guess say 58, I'm still trying to figure out what the next thing is going to be. Yeah. I want to adjust and keep moving and, and, and just keep this thing going. That's just kind of the way I am. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, I'll just say this, the, the title of my podcast journey of a new entrepreneur. I've had, I've had a couple, it was literally just two, but people get mad over the weirdest thing. You're not even a new entrepreneur anymore. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, well, I, I actually am, but, but, like with you though, like the, this name will be valid forever because, you know, you've been in business at, gosh, I think you said 99 was maybe when you, 92. or 92, even further back. Yeah. You know, so you've been in business for a long time and you're still new, as you just said, it's because I don't know what the next thing is, but you're learning, you're growing TikTok, whatever the heck it may be, you know, if, if we're entrepreneurs, we, we've got to be, you know, I hate to say reinventing ourselves, but that might be true in some cases, but l- learning and growing and, uh, you know, when you're growing, it's like, I heard a preacher say this one time. <laughs> I, I always try not to talk too much religion, but I heard a preacher say it one time, he's like, if you, if you can look at yourself uh, from a year ago, and think you were a real Christian, you're not really growing in your faith, you know, type of thing. Now, I'm not saying that he was right or wrong, but the 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 analogy I think is great. Uh, I'm not making a religious statement at uh, any means on this guy's, but but I think that's the point. Is if we're always growing, then things are always new, and um, you've got to challenge yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I I know I've applied one thing to not just myself but the people that work for me is. So when you're continuing your education, you're growing, you're educating yourself, you're going to school. Some people decide to go to comma, forget about going to college or not, but you go to college, you continue your education. Why do we get into business? Which is probably one of the biggest challenges of our lives. And what do we do? We stop educating ourselves. Yep. You know, I've been stop, guilty. I've been guilty. We stop reading books. We stop mm-hmm. educating. I have understanding wood. I have a wood. I have all these wood books over here. I, I've gotten them from other authors. I've digested that. And what happens is you'll get a guy, I'll go to Houston and stand with Shane Brousseau, another wood guy. And we have four people listening to us talk. And next thing you know, we got 40, 50 just hearing us talk. And we're talking a different language. 
Mm -hmm. I'm talking to customers. You don't know when something that you read in that book is going to come out of your mouth and the customer is going to say, these guys really know their craft. They know more than the other people. I trust giving my money to these people to build my deck, restore my deck, wash my house because I don't know why we stop. So I have a guy who's just came on. He came on as a manager and uh, I haven't seen it here. Not endorsed before, but it's that. I read it probably 20 some years ago, maybe 30 years ago about empowerment. Mm-hmm. And it's a quick, easy book. I mean, you could read it sitting on the toilet if you wanted to. And it's just been really good. And I have. What's the I'm, book? Cause I, I I'm, I'm about done with my current one. That Z A P P. And it's really good to get the rest of my management. And I've been, you know, what's the, what's the subline, the something of empowerment, the lightning of empowerment. Say that again. The lightning, lightning. empowerment. It's by William Byam, B-Y-H-A-M. Okay, cool. And I was told about this book working for a corporation. And today I still get, I just got this for one of my managers. He's struggling with managing the guys and empowering the guys and so forth. Mm-hmm. That book is for him. I have traction on profit first. I give. Yeah. Those are good books too, but they're not leadership books. Yeah. So yeah. this is what I do with my people. I want them to continue their education. It, it helps them. It helps me yep. do that. I think business owners today lack. I think everything is quick and easy. What can I see on a five minute video? What can yeah. I go read just real quick? You got to get back to books. I don't care if it's on your phone, your Kindle, your iPad, whatever it is, mm-hmm. download them, buy them, read them, whatever it is, but continue that education. And what that does is, my opinion, your, your, your foundation solid. Yeah. Well, it, I think that's, that. so I've just, I'm on my second. Uh, have you read the five, uh, the five levels of leadership by John Maxwell? No, but it's on my list. Is, is it, okay. So I'm, I'm about two thirds through it. Really good book. And I just finished uh, actually two, I think it was, it wasn't in the book before this, but the one before that was uh, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell, who's, that's kind of a, a, been a staple in leadership for the last 20 some odd years. But um, the, uh, as I'm reading it, uh, gosh, I, I, I got excited about these books and now I'm kind of forgetting my point here. We're talking about growing. Oh, I, my point was John Maxwell even talks about that, like the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, a pretty you know, rock solid name. And the, the, the one I just bought, it's the revised one, the 10th anniversary edition. And guess what? He took one law and put it into a sub law and another, and then added a law. And, but these things were irrefutable, right? But the point being is even the people at the top of their game, you know, the, the authorities on these particular subjects that literally write the book, they literally write the book on this stuff. Even they're growing, even they're getting better. And, and I think this applies to everything. So like we're talking about education and personal development, but it doesn't matter if it's that it doesn't matter. Uh, like in the, the five stages of leadership, of leadership, you know, uh, one stage, you know, stage one is positional stage two is, uh, relational stage three is, um, uh, I can't, my brain's going to mush getting stuff done, uh, production. Uh, I don't even know what stage four or five is yet. Cause I haven't got to those chapters, but the, uh, he's in the production stage, you know, he's talking about how, you know, uh, at stage one being a, are you cool with just gabbing about this stuff? 
Yeah. So stage one, it, you know, it's positional. You know, you're a leader because you got a promotion. And even though you may not be a good leader and you may not be an effective one, you are by position only. Well, to get to the next level, it talks about becoming a, a relational. You build relationships with people. So in stage one, people follow you because they have to. Stage two, uh, people follow you because they like you. And, um, but you're not always real productive. You know, stage three, people start to follow you because you're successful and you get stuff done and they want to be a part of something like that. But he, so he, he goes, I'm in the stage three section right now in the book. And he talks about how people will get to the production stage, which is like dopamine to probably literally to, to entrepreneurs and stuff. You get things done and, it, and that's all that matters. And what happens is they tend to stop doing the stuff from stage two. And then uh, you might be okay if you never mess up and you never fail. But the, you know, in this example, if you forsake the relationships uh, and then you have a failure, well, you can be real productive without being that relationship leader at stage two. But the problem is if you're not successful every time, then, then you lose the people that you're leading. And one of the quotes he says is if you step on fingers on the way up, they'll try to trip you on the way, you know, on your way back down. And, um, and so saying all that to get to one other, you know, just thought on this is, you know, you're, ta- you're essentially, we'll just go with another ladder, Latimerism here. You're talking about uh, doing hard things, essentially, you know, and Josh always says that do hard things. It's funny. We all have shirts from an event we went to that says do hard things uh, from Josh Latimer gave us. And, and we, a bunch of five of us, my friends, we, we wore them to uh, Epcot. And uh, my wife and one of our other female friends, they got heckled by a group of women saying, what kind of hard things are you doing? <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, it was funny. But, uh, but, but my point is I get people all the time, you know, and just like you were saying earlier on, guys, if you've messaged me, if you've reached out to me and I haven't got back to you, I'm sorry. I don't have a team of people that can do that. And I just can't keep up, but I try, you know, I do my best. And I was on a walk two nights ago and one guy texted me and I just, or messaged me. And I gave him my number. And we, we talked for 40 minutes, but the, um, the, uh, but I'll have a lot of people that'll reach out. And when I do get the chance to speak to someone on the phone, which is regularly, it's just not every person. Um, they'll be like, Bobby, I'm struggling and I need help. And I need to be able to do, you know, whatever it may be. I need to get that next level or, or i I'm starting my business, but I have to be successful. I can't fail. I got my family dependent on me. You know, what should I do? And most people that are reaching out to me, rightfully so, uh, back to the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, talks about the, the uh, law of the lid. But most people reaching out to me are newer entrepreneurs because I'm not going to be a great value to a guy like you, Everett, that, you know, has a lot more experience and success than me. So you're probably not going to come to me. I don't agree with you there. Well, well, generally speaking, maybe, right? Uh, Pain with a broad guys, brush. I need guys like you to give me the fresh. Fair, yeah. No, you got a valid point, like, but. I know, I know what you're saying. But you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so these guys, they're usually newer entrepreneurs. They'll reach out to me. And the advice I give them almost always sounds the same. Because I'll say, well, do you have much, do you have a lot of money? Like, no, man, I've got like $1,500 to my name. And I just started the business. Okay, well, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to be getting in front of a lot of people. You can do free stuff on Facebook but you need to do that nights and evenings, you know, whenever the, the daylight, you know, when there's no daylight and during the day, you're either going to be knocking on doors or you're going to be passing out flyers, or you're going to be doing both. And, and that's it. So you do the free online stuff when there's no sunlight. And then you, then you get out there and do that boots on the ground marketing during the day. 
And I'll explain to them, you know, we built our business doing $20,000 a month just from doing flyers. That's all we were doing. We didn't spend a penny on digital ads, AdWords, nothing like that. We did some like uh, home advisor t- type stuff in our first two months, but, but th- that's neither here nor there. And when I have this conversation with these people, you know, you can never know who is going to be successful, but you do know you, you oftentimes you will know who's not going to be successful. And when I start saying, yeah, well, here's how we did it. Here's how we had success. And I start telling them it's the do hard things philosophy. You can hear it in their voice. They say something like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's great, Bob. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm going to think about this and X, Y, and Z. Now the other guys that you're pretty sure are going to win, they're going to be like, dude, thank you so much. That's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm going to knock on doors to my knuckles bleed, or I'm going to pass out flyers until my ankles are broke or, you know, and those guys still might fail because failure is always an option, but those are the only ones that I think have that option to win. And so that was a really long detour to come all the way back to what you were talking about is the, I think the pathway to success, it's paved with hard stuff, whether it's personal development, whether it's the marketing that you can afford or, or, you know, or if you have money for marketing, guess what, then you're probably going to grow faster, but now you got the, the hard stuff of leading people and recruiting a team and building a team. And, and all of those things require development and require stuff that's not comfortable for us. And it's why I think, you know, all of these things combined, because there's no one reason. I think that's why most businesses fail. Is because they go into it thinking I can sell a thing for this much money and I'm good, but they don't think about the hard shit. I, I think there is that level of people are really good short term, but we can do the hard work for a few years. Eventually, we say, you know, sometimes it could be a change in you know our personal life. Uh, we have a family and kids now, you know, and things take away from that, and it could be some complacency that set, sets in. But I think if we know that, and if anybody's listening to this now. Take this to heart. Address it now when you don't need to. Know that it's coming. You're going to have pitfalls. You're going to have the valleys. You're going to get complacent. Family life's going to change. Personal life's going to change. We're not always on the top of the mountain, but we always want to get to the top of the mountain. And how do we stay at the top of the mountain? You mentioned something to me earlier in this conversation about when you get to three or 400,000 and getting past that and talk about employees and all this other kind of stuff. So, where we are right now, when I do an interview, I talk to people, we talk to people who hire them, we tell them they're not, the rest of the crew is going to decide whether or not they're going to stay because we have a program. What happened is you talked about the hole in the bucket. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, what they do is they can run two or three good crews, but then they get four or five and now the quality goes down of work. We have all kinds of issues going on. How do we get past that? And so if you have the right people, people come in to get trained by these people either accept them or they don't. If they don't, they don't work with the team. My guys all work together. They go help each other out. We have good camaraderie. Everybody is just, you have a group text going right now. There's 23 of us on there and it is hilarious. You see the guys all getting on each other, you know, like the one guy goes and steps on a step. He sends a picture of a broken step. And the one guy says, Oh, well, did Alex build that? One of the carpets. <laughs> and it goes from there. And it just builds. And then what happens is, so we have basically eight crews, but we have four guys that go together on a, on a steam. So we have seven that go out, but it's really eight crews. Kind of those. Regardless, 
if we want to add a crew now, we don't drop in quality because it actually adds to the group. Mm-hmm. Get there is really hard, but that's how you can really go from that three, four hundred to a million, two million, and so forth. Yeah. So three million, which is fun. Mm-hmm. It just gets once you get to that point, it just becomes a little bit more automatic. But then that's when you have to, like I was saying, do the education, know about the complacency, because you want to stay there. That's the fun part of being in business. We can all, I, I, I'm all about scaling and selling. I'm all about, but when you can build something and just, I am so excited after 30 years of being an overnight that this is so much fun. I mean, yeah, I yeah. really literally love what I do every day when I come to work. I love the people that work for me. I love the people that I meet like yourself in this industry. I can't believe that 30 years, I'm still as relevant as I am yeah. in the career of the business. My manual that I teach with, that thing has grown legs over the years. Now, 150, we edit it like we always edit and, and improve. We're up to 152 pages of this. Wow. Not full of education. Deals with the different species of wood, all the chemicals and products today. And the thing that's neat about it, we keep adding to it. And if you took what most people teach today, which is the part I don't like, we're still teaching that 2009 timeframe. 2009 in, in my industry with the wood specifically is when VOC, believe it or not, that's when the, all this stuff with economy too. At the same time, VOC compliance changed. So volatile organic compounds that are in the coatings, the restrictions on those, the government got involved. Mm-hmm. Government did that. The states took it a step further. So which place in California, New York, New Jersey were like the first ones to go environmentally crazy. And that's why we saw a lot of the oils. What happened is we used to have bleach and sodium hydroxide, cleaner stripper. That cleaned everything, it restored everything, and everything was an oil base. Then with the changes, if I go and look on a Facebook group today and somebody recommending stuff, most people will recommend everything from 2009 and before. Since then, we now have more water bases. We have hybrids where they emulsify the oil in a water cell. Completely different. You need different products. There are different types of stains out there. But not only are there different types of stains, how about this? The manufacturers have created different lines for each different state. Yeah. It was no, it was no one size fits all like it used to be. Yeah. So if you're not keeping up on this stuff, you get lost pretty quick. And there's 16 states now that have restrictions on oils. Well, thank God I don't live in a state that has very many wooden things here. <laughs> so we don't do any of this stuff. And I'm, you're scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> but you know what? It's the same thing that's changed with even in house washing and other stuff like that too. Mm. So a lot, of, let's just, so let's talk bleach for one second. I'll just go for a, a, a quick one on this. And this is the part that, you know, I'm always the person that says, why, why do we use bleach? I'm not using bleach because some Facebook group or somebody told me use bleach. It's the best thing. Why are we using bleach? So when we use bleach, we have to find out about bleach. So now I'm not, I'm the guy and you do this if you get into different cultures and so forth. So I've, myself to do this stuff. So I always want to know why, how it got there. I see a sign on the road. I see the guy who, who went to work for the township that dug the hole that put the sign in and so forth. So I, I see things more fully. Bleach reacts with the first thing it comes in contact. Everybody argues with bleach, specifically with wood, does it damage the wood? Well, 
you know what? Sodium hydroxide is a stripper. If we put sodium hydroxide on the wood, it's going to raise the grain and do more damage than bleach is. But we don't bitch about that, but we'll bitch about bleach. Mm-hmm. You know, the big thing we should be saying is, is bleach the right thing for the wool? So wood or bleach works best on a non-porous surface. That's why we use it for building cleaning. Yeah. That's why it's effective. Wood is not non-porous. Right. It, you, you don't get more porous than wood, I don't right. think. <laughs> so you're asking the bleach to do something it can't. It can't go kill the root of the organic growth. That's why people will send me pictures. However, I don't know what I did. I cleaned this three months ago. It's turning black already. The customer is not happy. I can't, I can't yeah. tell you. You're wrong. So they're the things that I don't think that we get that education out enough. That's what I try to teach in the class. Um, I'm trying to teach optimal results. You can, you, you, there's good, better, and best methods in almost everything we do. I know I see people arguing on Facebook. And I don't know why we can't agree to disagree sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of psychology behind that. I really, I yeah. think, I don't think it has anything to do with pressure washing. It has, doesn't have anything to do with, you know, deck restoration. It has everything to do with tribalism and, you know, and, I, and pride, I think, you know, I think some people, um, and I'm not even actually talking about their actual accomplishments. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing on this, but you know, like someone could be extremely successful in business and still be one of these guys, but in their mind, the only thing that gives them significance is the authority on this thing or being a part of this tribe. Oh, Chevy suck. Boards are the best. And people get in real arguments over this stuff, just like they do, which soap is best, which, which chemicals best, whatever. And I, I used to like despise those guys and I just kind of pity them now. And I'm like, man, Thanks. life, there's so much more to life and you could be so much happier if you just didn't give a shit if someone else used a different soap, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't matter sometimes. And the other thing too, is if they would just hold up, check themselves, you might actually learn something or pick yeah. something up by listen to what somebody else says. I'm telling you right now, if I go on and post this stuff that we're talking about right now about bleach, I'm going to, you'd have 50 people telling me, I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah, you do. And chemists will tell you the same thing. Bleach works with the first thing it comes in contact with, works better on a non-porous surface. Wood is porous. You're asking to do the wrong thing. Now, if you've already stained it back and there's organic growth, when you go back to do the maintenance, nice house wash mixed with a little bit of sodium hypochlorite is not bothering anything. You're asking it to do what it can do. But if you want to be more, now I know people use bleach because it's cheaper and that's fine. You'll get a good, a good job done. But if you want a better, best or optimal job, then you start looking at some of these other things. Mm-hmm. And I think it, people are coming around five yeah. years ago. We never talked about sodium metasilicate. And now I hear everybody talking about sodium metasilicate and not just for wood, because it's in composite deck cleaning. It's in other cleaners. It's sometimes it's an additive. Sometimes it's in some research and some other products as well so i think people are open up their eyes but they're slow to go mm-hmm. and uh and it's just it's such a cool time right now and i don't think people realize it because we have more tools in the arsenal now to clean and restore with than we ever did and yeah. i just think we we got to get out there and educate ourselves more on some of the stuff that's out there that's well ever my- on that note, let me let me ask you this. There's, I think there's two camps of people out there listening right now. Some people are like, oh, I don't even care about this kind of stuff. 
they're probably not even listening anymore. Um, and, and, and that's not because your stuff's not good. It's just some people don't care. Right. Yeah. But then there's other guys listening that are like, Oh my God, I need more of this. I need to, to know more about this. I need to understand. So this is a, that's a great segue. You do a lot of education. So um, tell everyone, because uh, I know you got a, a, a training class coming up, but they may not be able to make it. Maybe they can. So before we talk about that training class, where can people go and just learn about your resources? I don't know what all the resources are. Maybe you have some online stuff. You might have some print stuff. I know you do in-person training for sure. Where can they go and learn about that stuff? Well, the calendar and a lot of the classes that I'm doing are at wizardofwood.net. Okay. Uh, you can find all that stuff there. So now, wizard, wizardofwood.net. .net. Okay. And you can find me on Wizard of Wood on the YouTube on youtube perfect and i'll put the wizardofwood.net in the show notes for everyone to make it easy to click on there thank you and if you're looking to attend a class i don't know if you've ever heard of the huge convention i've i've heard of it once or twice it's pretty cool pretty cool place (laughs) um anyway i'm going to be teaching a wood class uh, the day before the 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 main stuff gets going at the huge convention yep Um, i'll be there for the whole thing uh i'm teaching a half day class there the half-day class that we teach gives you the basics and a little more. Because mm-hmm. one thing I do with the class is, no matter if it's a half-day class or a three-day class, teaching business stuff with it. How yeah. does it apply to your business? How does it work in the real world? I don't teach, okay, here it is, go do it. Without mm-hmm. how would you apply this stuff? We put a lot of meaning behind that. So it's, it's, it's going to be a half a day, but it's full information. And then when I get done, I leave people with the homework have to do to get what they would do in a three-day class. And then um, uh, where do they go to sign up for that? So so just for everyone listening, so what Everett's talking about, the huge convention, as you all know, because that's all I talk about anymore, uh, is the 19th and 20th of uh, August. So it's coming up pretty stinking quick if you're listening to this one right, you know, as as it releases. Uh, but the day before on the 18th, there's a few classes going on. And one of them is Everett said he's doing. Uh, so that class, where would they go to, to sign up for that? Now, this is a paid class, but good things aren't free and free things aren't good. So, <laughs> so where can they go and learn about the class coming up uh, the day before the huge? I do some of the classes and online classes, too, with uh, Michael Hindelider at Power yep. Wash Academy. And we're doing that that day he's going to do half day class i'll do the other half day class and you can get to it through powerwashacademy.com powerwashacademy.com so they can go on there and sign up for uh the class that's the day before the huge so guys just something to keep in mind those classes the day before the huge were uh you could say we're we're friends but we're not you know like those classes aren't ours and and the huge isn't them so if you want to go to the huge convention you can go to the huge convention.com get your tickets on there um to go to the the two-day event and then if you want to go to the paid classes before like everett's you can to get everett's class and uh, michael hinder lighter's class which uh, ever on that class is it two separate tickets or is it one ticket and then the first half is mike and the second half is you two separate Two separate tickets. Okay. So you can go to powerwashacademy.com. That's where you can find the uh, the links to either buy uh, uh, Everett's class or Hinderlight's class and, or both, uh, which both are probably definitely worth it. Both of these guys 
Uh, I said uh, Everett's a pillar in the industry. So is Michael Hinderleiter. I've got a great deal of respect for him as well. So, um, so you can do that. So to, just to recap, if you want to learn more about Everett, you go to wizardofwood.net. And if you want to book for his most, uh, the, the closest event, the next one coming up, go to powerwashacademy.com and get your ticket there. However, I want to ask you here in a second. I'm going to ask you, so don't answer this yet, okay? I'm going to ask you um, kind of your advice for the newer entrepreneur. So the guy that is either just starting out, you know, or about to, or the guy that maybe he started out, but he never got any traction and he's desperate. But so lock that away just for a second. I'm going to ask you that before we get off here. But uh, I have like the most important question I ever ask on the show. And that'll be this, this upcoming one. Now, I don't know if you listen to the podcast. If you don't, you don't know what the question is. Um, but I'm going to paint a little picture for you. Okay. okay. Just imagine, um, you know, you, you hopped in a time machine and you went back to ancient Rome and you were just dropped off in the middle of the Colosseum and you're in there and the crowd's chanting and they're ready for, you know, Everett the gladiator to, to be in a fight to the death. And the emperor, I don't know which emperor, let's just say the, the one from the movie Gladiator, you know, the, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, whatever his character was, he, he walks out, you know, to his, on his little platform and he says, Everett the Gladiator, if you point to this gate over here, you know, the little gates that roll up, you know, and let the, the lions and stuff out, if you point to that one, I'm going to release one horse-sized duck. But if you point to the other one, I'm going to release 1,000 duck-sized horses. Your choice, Everett, and you have to fight them to the death. Are you going to point towards the gate with the horse-sized duck, the big giant duck, or are you going to point to the gate with all the little bitty tiny 1,000 duck-sized horses? Fight to the death. But you get no weapons, so you don't get that armor you see the gladiators. You don't get spears, nothing. It's just, just your bare hands. So in the real world, this has happened to me, and I've always picked the horse-sized duck. What? Okay, you got you to gotta talk about this. Are you a I former gladiator? I always take the challenge. I feel like I have been. I've always taken the challenge. I used to be a bouncer in bars. I used to. Okay. And that was another whole lifetime, too, but we don't need to go there. But I would always take the – I would go the horse-sized duck. Okay. All right. See, I'm on the other, other end of this one. However, I have not been a bouncer and I'm not going to talk trash to someone that has been, but, uh, but I always say I'm going to go with a thousand duck sized horses because it's not even going to be hard. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a walk and I'm just going to make sure each step lands on the head of one of those little, little bitty horses. And after uh, you know, a couple hours, it'll all be dead and I'll just go grab a beer and chill on the couch afterwards. But you like the challenge. You're going to be bloodied up, but I'm confident you can take the duck. <laughs> so, so and that's the way I go into it, that I'm not going to be defeated anyway. It doesn't matter the size. Yeah, I love it's it. Always been that way. So. I'm, I'm a path of least resistance guy. <laughs> so, so yeah. Everett. But I will tell you one thing. Oh, yeah. If you got that big duck, the other ducks will fall in line. Yeah, they will. <laughs> you just got to do one, right? And all the rest fall in line. So, so Everett, new guys are listening to you right now. People that, uh, you know, not all of them are in this industry. You know, probably the majority are. But, you, you know, you've got the ear of a lot of new entrepreneurs that uh, can learn something from your experience, 
you know, maybe it's something you didn't do that you wish you did at the beginning, or maybe it's something you did do that you wish you didn't, but, uh, putting you on the spot, what would you, you know, what's a simple, just easy thing that you could say, listen, this is a definitive. If I had to go back in time, this is what I would do. Um, I would understand cash flow. Cash flow is important to the business. Even if you only have, you're on a shoe, cash flow, you got to get a job, pays for the next stuff. You can do this one. Um, been there, done that. I didn't get to where I'm at now. You know, I remember living in a $410 a month rent, everything included um, in the late 80s. But it's about cash flow. Learn about yeah. cash flow, understand that. Um, the other thing for a new person getting in, um, I see a lot of guys fall by the wayside because they're enamored with cash and money and stuff coming in. Plan for downtimes, plan for taxes, plan for all the stuff. Yeah. That, you know, a lot of people, you know, they're in a few years and then they're gone. You wonder why they got caught up in taxes or those bills caught up and so forth. Another thing I would kind of look at, and um, we were talking about books earlier, one that's been probably the most influential to me is something called The Tipping Point. And the hmm. Tipping Point is a really, really good book, and it teaches not just about things societal, um, you know, um, even landmark law cases, different things, but these tipping in the tipping points is they talk about mavens. And one thing we, we don't teach in business is about mavens. We all have, a maven is somebody who's like the expert or the person. We all have like that restaurant maven in our life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say to my wife, hey, can you call Colleen and ask her where she would go for Italian food? Because she's the restaurant guru, you know, in our, yep. in our group, you know? So what happens is. I'm a YouTube guru. <laughs> That's what I always get told. <laughs> you are without a doubt. So, case in point, I have a lawyer who retires working in a gym. She's all over Facebook. I go, she calls us to do the work. I'm getting the job. I don't what. I don't care if I'm doing it at a cost. And I'll tell her. I don't have a problem with that. 37 jobs she's referred to me since then. Do you think she paid for it? Yeah. I have another lady who called. Our minimum, I said, was 1700 Her job came out to like 800 bucks. We did it for 800 I told the guy she's all over. Think you got another group? Use those mavens. Use those people. We were still doing the work, and we had people calling us to do an estimate because posting about it as we were doing. Mavens. You meet these people. If you meet that customer, they're worth so much. Last thing I'm tying into that is treat every job as your last, your first or your last. Mm. My first job I did, I wanted to be perfect. The last job I do, I want it to be perfect, everything in between. And if I do that and I please those mavens, and I know those mavens are out there, I can watch what happens to my business grow. That's good stuff, man. Is that maven concept? Is that in the tipping point? Is that spelled out in my book? Talk about mavens. And it'll talk about some stuff that may be uncomfortable to people, um, but how things like um, uh, Roe versus Wade and so how that affected society and stuff. Oh, yeah deep stuff and the different tipping points and how that how society reacted to that mm-hmm. but it also goes into some business stuff and that's stuff. what's really cool about it because at the end of the day you really are addressing characteristics mm-hmm. and so forth you can learn about business and learn about you know trades and technical part of the stuff but learning about people is really really big um and that helps us when we go to do estimates 
and when we're treating our customers because not everybody's the same. You know, we are, I'm not going to get into Dale Carnegie thing with all the different alleys and stuff, but you know, we start to identify with people. It makes a big difference. It really does. Yeah. So, like I said, 30 year overnight success. I've done something right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Everett, thanks a million for joining us, man. Uh, it, it's the, the honor is all mine. And I'm really looking forward to being able to hang out with you in Atlanta here. And gosh, about by the time of this recording, it'd be about uh, three, what, three weeks from now, something like that, you know, not too far from now. So uh, when it goes live, it'll probably be two weeks, but, uh, but thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, to all the listeners out there, remember, if you're not doing the things that you want to do in life, you better have a damn good reason for it. But if you're not pursuing those things, there's no good reason for it. Peace.